All right, everybody, welcome back to the Stewcast. And I'm happy to start off the week with uh, a great friend, a guy who uh, I, I probably owe another lunch to. I've worked my way up to another lunch that mm-hmm. I owe him. Uh, what he doesn't realize is it's more like it's it's kind of like, you know, uh, like a cameo, but in person, it's great. Uh, People think we're twins. <laughs> yes. Yes, they do. Uh, get some weird looks in downtown Birmingham. But my great friend, uh, he's a raconteur. He's doing everything, sports, recruiting, mafia. Uh, he's everywhere. He is a great Scott Bernstein. Scott, so good to see you. Uh, I'm happy to be talking with you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me in, Al. You know I love chopping it up. Yeah, I know. I, and let's chop it up. Let's get it right out of the way. We're right off NCAA tournament. Your Hoosiers did make a nice little run, but uh, I, I don't. I I don't know. You mean they made? You're saying they made a nice little run in the Big Ten tournament? Yeah. Yeah. I personally, and I and I know I'm I'm an outlier here. Probably I don't consider play-in games NCAA tournament games. Like the tournament starts on Thursday. Like if you make a play-in game, that's fine. It's kind of like that purgatory or that middle ground i i know that the the universities and the ncaa say that if you are chosen to be in the playing game you've reached the tournament for scott bernstein that ain't the case (laughs) so i I, you know we we won the we won the playing game and then we looked horrible uh in our I want to say I've done a 180, but I've actually done a 360. Um, you know, I, I was very vocal in my feelings that Mike Woodson was the wrong hire. Um, up until maybe a month ago, I had done a 180. Uh, I, I I did a mea culpa. I thought I was wrong, and and Mike Woodson was was uh, positioned. Uh, you know, I, I was happy with how the program was positioned and what Woodson was doing. And then the way things ended, um, you know, the regular season didn't end great. Um, we had to fight our way into, into the play-in game uh, by winning two, you know, upsetting two uh, higher seeds in, in, in the Big Ten tournament. We didn't look good at all in, you know, we looked good in the play-in game. We looked horrible. Um, in the first round, we have no shooters in a, in a era where, you know, everyone needs to be able to shoot. And frankly, I am aghast and sickened to a degree of what has happened in the immediate aftermath of uh, the 2022 campaign coming to an end. Uh, a lot of house cleaning some of it was frankly wrong not that not that certain people didn't need to be moved around or or leave or or what have you but the way it was done was so abhorrent in in my opinion um i'm specifically referring to the dane fife uh dismissal and you know it's a it's an online firestorm to this day, you know, three weeks later or two weeks later, um, nobody knows for sure what happened. All I know is that people 
connected to the program, people connected to Woodson, launched a smear campaign, uh, a very public smear campaign against one of the Indiana Hoosiers' favorite sons. And, you know, what is some of what's being said um, is, is there some kernels of truth to it? Possibly. Um, you know, do I think Dane Fife is a racist? I, I, I adamantly disagree with that. In fact, I told Dane that I would be considering uh, filing libel and slander lawsuits against some of these people that were online on blogs uh, calling him a racist. Um, you know, for and and his his reputation has been hurt, and it's been hurt bad. Um, do I think he could have handled some things better behind the scenes when when things uh, clearly weren't you know copacetic between him and Woodson? Yeah. Um, was he brought there as the coach in waiting? Whether or not that was said or not, it's clearly that was what the intention was. Uh, now that we're a year uh, away from that, it seems like that was forced upon Mike Woodson. And even though Mike Woodson, you know, to made the hire, and I'm being told, and I'm being, I'm reading that that he wasn't forced. I believe he was. Um, it went bad. It went bad fast. Dane comes from um, the last decade plus uh, as the right-hand man to one of the most respected college basketball coaches in history, and Tom Izzo. Uh, Izzo co-signed him. I believe that in that relationship on campus at East Lansing, it was a um, uh, there was a free flow of ideas and opinions that went back and forth. Um, even though Tom Izzo was the head coach, he would take, um, critique from his assistants, uh, would look for insight from them, whether it be positive or negative. And Woodson wasn't, didn't subscribe to that same school of thought when it comes to his assistant coaches. He doesn't want people disagreeing with him, people voicing opposite opinions of him. Uh, that caused a rift early on. I mean, that's true. Uh, but all of the negativity, uh, starting, frankly, with, with the, the statement that Woodson put out, where he, for all intents and purposes, said he was firing Dane, you just didn't need any of it. And it just brought negative energy uh, into the program. And I don't know how it resolves. But, but you never want to see two, you know, I'm biased, you know, and I'm friends with Dane. I've known Dane since I was 16, 15, 16 years old. Uh, we went to college together. I went to IU when he was there. Um, I, I believe that Dane is more of an Indiana legend than Mike Woodson. I know Mike Woodson was the better player. Um, Mike Woodson never uh, won a national championship. Mike Woodson, I don't believe, went to a Final Four. 
Uh, he was after the 76 team and before the 81 team. Uh, Mike Woodson never won anything as a player, never really won anything as a head coach. He's, you know, just kind of very average uh, in terms of his head coaching, in terms of his, his pro career. I know he was a very, very good uh, college basketball player at IU. Um, but, you know, Dane bridged that gap between Bobby Knight and, you know, the, the, the Bobby Knight era and the post Bobby Knight era. Um, and again, I, I'm going to, I'm going to speak honest here. I, I know that Bobby Knight wanted Dane to, to break up that whole team and, and for everyone to leave and to leave Indiana basketball back in 2001 um, without a basketball team to, to put on the floor. Dane wouldn't do that. And he, he, he instead, he rallied the troops, got everyone to stay. Um, you know, a year later, they go to the final four. Uh, they go to the NCAA championship game. You know, it's my opinion. Again, I wear Hoosier tinted glasses. It's my opinion. If Tom Coverdale doesn't, you know, sprain his ankle in the uh, Elite Eight, that Indiana wins that national championship. You know, Coverdale was Coverdale and Dane were the heart and soul of that team, and and Coverdale was a much more prolific offensive player than Dane was. Um, he was also our point guard, and he played with you know one on one leg in the Final Four. Uh, so you know, and and in a in an in a program or in a legacy, uh, you know, Hoosier history where there was so many final fours so many glory moments and then i mean a lot of its context you know in the last 22 years there have been you know you can count them on one hand how many really good moments there's been for indiana basketball in 22 years and the crowning the crowning moment in the last 22 years is dane captaining that team to the final to the, to the NCAA championship. And uh, to me, that's way more important uh, in the history of IU basketball than anything Mike Woodson ever did. So I, I just, I still can't wrap my brain around why the divorce was so public um, and why it wasn't done more professionally. And then as a result in the last two weeks, I shouldn't say as a result, subsequently, I don't know. I, I'm assuming as a result, but I don't know. There's been a, um, you know, an exodus, um, well, and the other including Thad Mata uh, two days ago. And, and the other thing you, you kind of talk about there, too, and, and doesn't get spoken about enough, Dane Fife's a hell of a recruiter. Dane Fife's right. a recruit. Well, look, look who he recruited at, at Michigan State. He, he recruited over a half dozen NBA players. Um, and I was getting it, getting into it on Twitter with people the day this happened or the day after this happened where everyone was, you know, Dane's a horrible recruiter because he might have, uh, you know, uh, there was a recruit that they were after in Chicago that I don't think he was able to nail down. I know that. Uh, well, Chicago, gotten, Chicago basketball recruiting is. Uh, yeah, it's hard a, to nail down unless you got a paper bag with you. Right. There's a kid at a cathedral in, in Indianapolis right now, Xavier Booker, who's one of the best big guys in the nation. And, and again, this is, this is coming from the, 
the smear campaign. You know, Dane, you know, is not a good recruiter. Uh, I don't care what he did at Michigan State. He couldn't lock down. I think his guy's name was Alexander, Clint Alexander, Cliff Alexander uh, from from Chicago. And he, and he hasn't been able to lock down Xavier Booker yet. And it's like, uh, well, it's like, what have you done for me lately? It's like, dude, just look back from last year to 2011 and all those kids Dane helped bring into Michigan State. Yeah, yeah they didn't win a national championship. They went to um, two Final Fours. But uh, he brought in a number of NBA first-round draft picks. Um, so this notion that he's not a good recruiter is just another – is another – it's part and parcel to this, this – uh, smear campaign disinformation campaign that's been launched by his own you know his own program uh so i think it's pretty i think it's pretty clear that we can say right now dane fife will most likely never be the head coach at indiana university and that's unfortunate yeah and uh it would be nice to see indiana basketball back uh well now i think i think now people are looking at uh, down at ball state uh, Michael yeah. Lewis, who was also a, a teammate of Dane, uh, has been um, assistant at UCLA and is now the head coach of Ball State. I think there's a lot of people now that have shifted their attention over to Muncie and, and they're looking at this guy, you know, Michael as uh, Michael Lewis, who, who I love. I love as a player, such an underrated uh, IU point guard, so gritty, so smart. Um, and a kid, a kid, he's not a kid, he's my, he's a couple years, he's like, he's 44. Uh, a guy that transformed his game at college, you know, in high school, he was a big scorer, 39, 30 points a night and uh, wasn't a true point guard. And, and Mike Lewis, by the time he was a junior uh, at, at IU in the late nineties, he was a, a, one of, you know, the big tens savviest point guards. I mean, just so smart the way he played uh, around the floor uh, as the floor general. Um, and uh, I, I remember and this is uh, anyone that knows Mike Lewis or knows his history will remember the fact that he's probably the only player in the history of Bobby Knight who got into Bobby Knight's face during a game on national television <laughs> um, where he was literally like screaming at Bobby Knight in Bobby Knight's face because of something, some miscommunication. And uh, to me, it didn't, it, it wasn't insubordinate. It was just a, a free, free flowing, a free flow of ideas going back and forth. And I think afterwards they, they actually said that in the post post game press conference that Knight was okay with it. At least maybe at least an hour later. I don't know if he was okay with it the second it happened. In the moment, probably not. But I think he shows you what a competitor Mike Lewis is, and um, I know Dan will land on his feet. But uh, it, it's hard for me to swallow, both as an, a, a diehard IU fan, not wanting to see that members of our family go at it in, in this bitter feud that's erupted in, in public. But uh, also, you know, like I said, he's a buddy of mine. I know his whole family. And uh, I, I hope, uh, I hope there are bright skies ahead for him in his coaching career, because he was, a, you know, one of these guys um, that went backwards to go forwards. He was a head coach you know, in his twenties, a division one head coach in his twenties, um, and did, and did really well, uh, at IUPUI and, um, or IUFW, sorry, IUPUIFW and, um, turned that program around 
and then went to Michigan State to be mentored by Izzo so he could go get a head coaching job. I know he's turned down other head coaches. He turned down Duquesne before Keith Dambrot uh, took that job. Um, so it's, again, as a friend of Dane, you know, it's hard for me to, to see him have to take another step back instead of take a step forward to being a head coach where I, I think he'll be a very, very good head coach wherever he, wherever he ends up. But, but I think now he's going to have to go back and be an assistant now. Maybe at Michigan State, Dwayne Stevens just left. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure Tom would like to have him back. I mean, like we said, good recruiter, good basketball coach. Uh, hopefully that gets sorted. And again, this is super – this gets personal – or. Um, stuff that most people don't care about and really shouldn't care about. But, you know, I, I know Dane's family, not just his wife and kids, but I know his dad and his two brothers and his mom. And um, I feel bad for his two daughters. You know, they got uprooted. Uh, they'd been their whole lives. They had been in, in East Lansing and um, they get uprooted for this past year to go to Bloomington thinking that this is the, this is where daddy's going to be for the next 20, 30 years. Yeah. It's tough. And, here they're they're got they gotta change schools again and all that stuff so well uh, switching to a little bit uh, of a happier topic i think yeah maybe it's uh, amazing one more last thing i'll say yeah, yeah it's amazing to me how many people will just it, i shouldn't say it's amazing it's this is what it is this is indiana basketball is like a cult it was like that with <laughs> bobby Knight, like that now but how many people will just just be such blind loyalists and uh just because mike woodson says this is the this is the way we should go everyone's just like well it's coming from woodson it's like well what what has woodson ever done and this and this narrative that's out now that woodson has quote-unquote turned around the program i mean did we take a step in the right direction this past year we did but this idea that we turned around the program eh, that ain't true <laughs> Pyongyang news uh, coming out of Bloomington. Uh, yeah. hope, hopefully it does change up. Um, it certainly What's, could change what, up. What do we get a bunch of transfers? Uh, but that's, that's again, that's par for the course everywhere. Everybody's coming yeah. and going. I think there's college. like 1,500 kids in the portal right yeah, now. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't believe Tracy uh, TJD is coming back. Maybe he is. He, he still has to learn to shoot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But he's a, he, you know, without him, I, I really worry about this, this IU basketball team. I, and I know we got some, some studs coming in as freshmen and hopefully they'll be more than serviceable. We have the, uh, one of the best players on the national, national championship Mount Verde Academy. Uh, and I know we have uh, Mr. Basketball from Ohio. So let's move on now. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> uh, Last time you were on, we were talking a little bit about recruiting right after recruiting ended a few months back. Uh, spring game for Michigan and Michigan. We're talking football, football recruiting. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, spring games for Michigan, Michigan State wrapping up uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks here. Um, you know, this is mainly just, uh, you know, I, I just want to feel the temperature of the room. And I feel like you're one of the guys that has uh has a thermometer on them uh what do you see out of both uh schools heading into the season now with the spring uh wrapping up and uh where what's the direction for this season for both schools well michigan's gotta get 
a little bit more clarification on that quarterback issue. Um, you're not get, I mean, do you really think you're going to get clarification until it's, you know, the first drive of the first game? I, I don't know. I, I believe that, that some, something will shake out in the next couple of weeks. I mean, I don't see both those guys stay until August. And I think we're in a situation now with the portal and whatnot, where you could leave in May and still end up at another school starting in August. That's um, true. So, you know, I, I would like to see who's going to be at the helm. Um, I know Mc, uh, uh, McNamara doesn't deserve to have the job taken away from him. Um, but at the same time, you have J.J. McCarthy, who's, you know, everybody's All-American, much more of a, you know, much bigger arm, uh, a guy that could throw for 300 yards. I know Caden... Or Cade uh, had a couple big games, but uh, I don't know if he's the guy that you can rely on for big numbers. And he's the guy that I think is kind of like a like a Brian Greasy. I mean, Brian Greasy led him to a national championship. So that's true. Uh, but you know, and guy played that, like ten years in the league. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I see McNamara as a guy that can get you two fifty every game. Good night can get you three hundred, but you know, with McCarthy, you're talking about at least the hype tells you this is a guy that's going to be you know throwing for 300 a game and 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 doing all kinds of crazy razzle dazzle things with his arm and his and his football iq and uh he's got a lot of swagger so i'd I'd hate to see him walk out the door because he doesn't want to wait another uh and i know last year they found ways to get him involved but you know it's it's tough having a two-quarter especially in this day and age it's always been tough but in this day and age it's even harder how about the spartans uh and that, well, the last thing i'll say about um michigan i mean you're gonna have to replace a lot on defense i mean that's that was what they hung their hat on last year and i'll be interested to see how that coalesces yeah with Hinton, hutchinson hill uh a job you you lose probably the three best defensive player or four yeah four of their top five Rock, dax hill ajabo and and aiden am i missing someone hinton i believe hinton, hinton uh, right and then Vinny gray uh, Vinny gray went pro from the secondary um I, I love i love what they got coming back uh at running back no, Blake, Donovan Edwards looks uh, like the real deal. Really complement each other, and they're both great pass catchers in the flat. Um, Donovan can go between the tackles, I think, a little bit more than Blake can. Both can make it around the edge. Um, uh, so, you know, anytime you have two potential All-American tailbacks, uh, it bodes well. For Michigan State, you know, I'm, um, I still will never, I will never give anyone a free pass for what happened at, in Columbus because that was an embarrassment of epic proportions. I don't care context or circumstances that, that was horrible, but outside of that one blemish, um, I will say that, I, you know, if, you, if I'm a Michigan state fan, I'm, I'm as confident as ever with what talkers doing there and with what we got uh 
coming through the pipeline, uh, the type of playmakers you have, the type of playmakers you can go get, the type of um, schematic and tactical uh, scheming you're going to get from Tucker and his and his staff. Um, you know, I, I love I loved the second they brought Mel Tucker in here. I thought that was a for 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 what was really a um, horrible I mean, situation. Late, it was a, it was a really late. And to be able to get a great coach like that so late and, and it looks like you you rolled the dice and, and came up, uh, you know, came up with a, with, with a nice number there uh, at the craps table. And, and, you know, I think that Mel Tucker is a guy that could be there for for 15, 20 years and, and get this team uh, to Indianapolis and, put you know, into the national championship conversation, just like D'Antonio did. So I, I have a hard time praising Harbaugh. I'll praise him for last year. I thought he was the national coach of the year. Again, I, I, when I'm wrong, I'll say I'm wrong. And I was way off uh, last year. Um, and Harbaugh did an amazing job and deserves all the credit. All, he, gets, he deserves all the credit last year the same way he deserved all the shade and hate the previous years where he wasn't living up, living up to expectations. He had those guys playing primed, um, you know, finishing and, and executing and making big plays when big plays had to be made. Uh, so hats off to, to Jim Harbaugh for finally getting the program to where it needed to be last year. That said, if you believe what Jim Harbaugh is telling you right now about this was my one dalliance with the NFL and I got it out of my system and now I'm a Michigan Wolverine for the foreseeable future. He's conning you. (laughs) (laughs) It's a con. He's going to leave the first chance he gets for an NFL job, whether that's next year, two years, three years from now. He's been trying to leave for the last couple of years. And I believe if there were opportunities for him to have left in, in, in 20, uh, 20 or 21, he would have left. Uh, you know, the Minnesota situation, I have really good sources. You know, he, and I'm not saying anything other people haven't reported, but, you know, he showed up at that interview. It, it wasn't an interview in his mind. You know, it was a coronation. He had told all of his assistant coaches that he wasn't coming back. He had given presents to all the secretaries in, in Schembechler Hall. Um, he had given his, his staff, he said, take this next week and, and go find yourself new jobs. Um, which is why Josh Gaddis left. He felt duped um, in addition to other issues with, with Gaddis and that were going on behind the scenes, but, uh, you know, he showed up at that, uh, at, in Minneapolis, he was under the assumption that they were going to offer him the job the second he got off the plane. In reality, that interview was a courtesy for some people in the Minnesota organization that had ties to Michigan and had ties to Harbaugh. There were a lot of people in that building, uh, that didn't want him even to come in for the interview, let alone would think about giving him the job. Uh, 
I know by around two, three o'clock from people that witnessed it, that, that Jim Harbaugh was having a full on meltdown in his hotel room, like throwing furniture. Because <laughs> uh, he was so embarrassed uh, by, by what had happened. He showed up I mean, the guy showed up in a sweatsuit. I mean, what does that tell you? You don't show up for a job interview wearing sweats. I don't care how casual coaching uh, fashion has gotten. And, and it comes out this week. Oh, uh, I want to bring in Kaepernick as, as my quarterback yeah. coach. Like, let's just throw some gasoline on this fire. That's, yeah. that's good. And I, and I, you know, did you want my opinion on Kaepernick? Did Kaepernick get blackballed out of the league? There's no question that he did. But at the same time, when you want to be a revolutionary, when you want to be an agent of change, you have to accept the fact that you're most likely the first person to do something like that is going to, it's going to be the hardest. It's going to be the most fraught. It's going to be um, the most painful and you're going to lose something. I mean, look at Kurt Flood, um, the major league baseball player that, that pressed for free agency. You know, he, he lost his career and this is a very similar. Um, but I will say the notion that Colin Kaepernick, that there's a place for Colin Kaepernick in the league right now, it, frankly, it's laughable and it has nothing to do with race and it has nothing to do with, it has to do with the fact that five years ago, he was a backup. He wasn't a starter. Um, he, there wasn't a place for him to start in the league before any of this controversy. So the idea that he could come back into the league four or five years later I think he was talking about a quarterback's coach. Uh, you mean it's an NFL team? Or yeah, for... yeah. So the reporter. He's not going to be able to. He won't be employed by the NFL. Exactly. And that's what Harbaugh's pitch allegedly. Uh, this is yeah. out of a report from the free press saying. Had, I, just, he, I just see a lot of people out there on social media that clearly, that clearly do not know the way sports as a business works or understand context that oh Colin, you know he looks so good throwing the football he was so crisp and da, 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 da. why isn't he i mean it's, it's ludicrous he hasn't played in five years at that time five years ago he was a backup now if you're an nfl team and and you want to bring him in and let's just say he's good enough to be a backup you you want the all the air in your room to be taken all the oxygen in the room to be taken up by a guy that's never going to see the field and every time you go to a press conference, you're going to have to ask, ask questions or you're going to have to answer questions about your third string quarterback. Come on. <laughs> um, and I don't, and you know what? It's Colin Kaepernick. This dude has made a lot of money in this image that he's crafting himself as a revolutionary. Go more power to you, man. Godspeed. You're going to be the face of, of this for the next 100 years. You're, you mean, you're going to be remembered way more positively now in history for what you've done off the field than anything you've done on the field. And that should be, you, you should embrace that. That's, that's important. That's critical. That that's groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. And you, and, and people down the line will benefit from what he did. But um, this idea that he can do that and that he should still be afforded the treatment that he was afforded before whether or not it's 
morally or ethically true, that's not the way the world works. Uh, well, speaking of how the world works, we're going to take a short break. Coming on the other side of it, folks, going to talk a little uh, gambling, talk to Calvin Ridley's situation, talk a little bit of mafia stuff. And uh, that's right up Scott's wheelhouse. So we'll be back right after this short break. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Van Dyne from North Coast Sports. You'll hear me here every week during football season with my main man, Stu, from the StuCast. And just want to let everyone know we got a lot going on at North Coast. We got Power Sweep coming up. Going to be releasing that at the end of August. And get on board for Power Sweep at ncsports.com. Definitely check out our podcast on ncsports.com. And like I said, you'll hear me every week giving out some of the best handicapping picks that you will get in the industry uh, with Stu and Bobcat every week here, as well as at North Coast Sports, ncsports.com. And we're looking forward to football season. All right, back with the great Scott Bernstein at Bernie's Tweets. At Bernie Tweets. Is it Bernie's Tweets or Bernie's? Yeah, B-U-R-N-E-Y-S-T-W-E-E-T-S. And also check them out, the Original Gangsters uh, podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, www.gangsterreport.com. Yes, sir. Uh, I almost had it. almost had all. I mean, I, we can start listening to History Channel stuff. We can start listening to uh, there's 50 things that you're involved with, got your hand in, um, yep. all of which we, are incredible. Um, we had a talk. The first time you were on this show, we did a really great conversation, and I got a lot of feedback from it at the time uh, on the mafia and sports and how they have intertwined, whether it be horse racing or um, football or basketball, so on and so forth. Uh, recently the Calvin Ridley thing has kind of popped off and, you know, it just brings it back to the forefront. And, and I had somebody who, you know, we were talking and they said, oh yeah, this is way bigger than just him placing three parlays, you know, on a weekend. This is much, much bigger. This is much more, uh, girthy gambling and and athletes that are gambling now they all gamble i'll tell you that gamble um and it's a real slippery slope that that is uh it's not even on the horizon it's it's right in front of us right now uh the league when we're talking about nfl the league has co-signed and has fully embraced uh, that gambling is going to be a part of that brand going forward. Um, a lot of money to be made. There's billions of dollars to be made on top of the billions of dollars that they're already making. So to then it's, it's difficult because you're promoting it, but then you're going to turn around to all your players and say, don't do it when the league is, branding itself now as sports pro sports with a with a gambling uh tint to it um it's just it 
like I said, it's just, it, it becomes um, prickly. And, and, and look, I'm telling you, 90% of all professional athletes, they bet. It's in, it, it's, it's in their DNA. They're competitors. And when I say they bet, that doesn't necessarily mean they all bet on football or they all bet on the games that they're playing, like they're, you know, trying to manipulate points for it. That's not what I'm saying. But they all bet in one way or the other, whether it's on the team playing, playing poker. They're all, they're, they're, they're adrenaline junkies. And I mean, if, if you, I know this is, we're switching sports here, but NBA uh, All-Star Weekend uh, a month ago, the, the, um, cameras for for tnt or whatever went into the locker room before the game and i don't know if it was just kind of went over some people's heads or they didn't care but they walked in on a game on a on like a poker game that all these and there was like there was hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting in that pot right in the middle of the table <laughs> and if you were kind of i mean they didn't reference it it was just kind of like this is the locker room of the eastern Con-. but like if you were paying attention you're like oh wow that's these people are betting, you know, this, it's, te- it's, it's uh, an hour before tip off. And these guys are, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of dollars exchanging hands in the locker room. Man, Jordan and Barkley, they, they just played in the wrong time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, with that said, I mean, these guys are playing through DraftKings or FanDuel, but historically the mafia has controlled, you know, bookmaking. It, it, do we still see, you know the mafia and, and athletes are twenty. It's just because a a, a um a legitimate market emerges doesn't mean that the black market disappears. In fact, the black market grows. Um, and I believe that there are. Oh, I don't want to. How do I say this? I believe there are elements of organized crime and underworld activity that are connected, whether it be tangential or directly or indirectly with some of these corporate gambling institutions. And as you also know, in between the completely legitimate betting market and the black market, there's this thing called the gray market, which which exists offshore and uh, a lot of that gray market is controlled with the guy behind the guy behind the guy behind the guy uh, with you know influence from organized crime. But just like the porn industry, I mean, <laughs> you know, pornography all went online. The mafia used to control it with, with the, the sex shops and the rated X movie theaters. And people think that that influence has just disappeared because everything's gone digital but these guys just have connections you know to these legitimate uh companies so they're just you know now they're they're insulated they're hidden but there's there's that element is is still involved in some aspect of that business just like i suspect it is uh in the in the legal uh, legalized uh, betting uh, you know licensed betting world right now i think you said i don't i don't think i don't i don't let me just i don't think it that they have a, that, that it's like it was 50 years ago, but I, I still believe there's influence. Is it one of these things where, and I think you said it before, where the, the mafia nowadays moves towards more white collar crimes. Yeah. Is that just a general push? Yeah. Are we seeing it across the border. 
infiltrating boardrooms. Um, it's it's the the Paul Castellano, Jack Toco, um, blueprint, where get off the street, you know, get into a corporate culture, and uh, it's a it's a whole new wonderland of illegal riches to find. I mean, and and it's easier to hide. It's easier to insulate and hide and create shell companies for shell companies and have you know layers of insulation people that are financing people who are financing people who are financing people now do you think this is in and i know this has turned into a little bit of a mob thing but i you know i listen to uh the og podcast i listen to the sit down and i love it shout out jeff nadu um but do you think that this is it's a natural progression or is it a progression of need after all the RICO uh, statutes that have just both? It's both. It's both. Yeah, they need they needed to be more stealthy, be more adaptable. Um, you're either evolving or you're dying. Um, but there's been a big push. Really, there were certain families and leaders pushing for this 50 years ago and there was resistance you know at, at some point in the last 20 years that that resistance um ceased uh, a lot of it is just you know technology and uh younger criminals understand technology better and they've explained it and sold it to the older criminals um but you know paul castellano was killed over his desire to get the Gambinos into more white collar rackets. I mean, not, you got to put some context into that. It wasn't the only reason, but Paul Castellano lost, you know, lost touch with his troops because he was so focused on white collar activity and, and ignoring all the guys that were in the trenches doing his dirty work. What do you got coming up on the OG podcast uh, here in the near future? Uh, we're going to do an interview next week with Daryl Chambers um, for people that are interested in the confluence of sports and organized crime, uh, this is right in that wheelhouse. Daryl Chambers was a professional boxer who uh, boxed at the famous Cronk Gym in Detroit, uh, best friends with Tommy the Hitman Hearns, and uh, trained and mentored by Manny Stewart. Uh, people that are fans of the boxing world know those names. If you don't, you know, Manny Stewart's some if not the most legendary boxing trainer of all time, one of the most legendary boxing trainers of all time, uh, trained 41 separate world champions. Um, Daryl Chambers was there from the start, helped build Kronk, the Kronk Gym and the Kronk Gym brand in, into this kind of iconoclast of, of professional boxing. And uh, the government believed that there were people in power at the Kronk gym, including Manny Stewart, including Tommy Hearns, that were helping uh, Detroit criminals launder their money, whether it be drug money or mob money. And uh, the FBI and DEA put on a full court press. Um, they felt that their way to bust Tommy Hearns and, and, and uh, Manny Stewart was to, to go through, you know, smaller fish. And, um, they were able to send a, a dirty DEA informant at these three Kronk boxers, 
um, and they got an indictment. And at the end of the day, Daryl Chambers was the one that was left holding the bag and, and received a life sentence um, on a nonviolent drug offense, basically because he wouldn't give the FBI uh, Tommy Hearns or, 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 or Manny Stewart. Uh, he's recently just got out of prison and um, is celebrating kind of his second chapter. And I wrote a big story about him this week that's running uh, all over Detroit. And uh, we'll be excited to get him on the podcast next week in, in, uh, in studio and, and chop it up with him. Uh, 27 years behind bars. Uh, 20, his, his record as a professional boxer was 22-2. and two, Fought on national television, HBO, Showtime, um, everything back in the 80s. But, uh, you know, got into the drug game. You know, he, he was no, uh, he was no saint. He'll tell you that, you know, he was definitely a drug dealer, but, uh, was known as a, was, a, was known as a gentleman, uh, criminal wasn't a, wasn't someone like a lot of the groups in the 1980s in Detroit that were, uh, littering the street with bodies. Daryl was a, uh, under the radar, nonviolent, uh, dope game diplomat. And uh, he probably, you know, he deserved to do uh, 10 years in prison, but he, he definitely didn't deserve to do life. And luckily, uh, because of uh, some federal legislation that's been passed recently, um, he was able to get his sentence reduced and got out of prison last year. That's, that's a wild thing. How, and especially for folks like, you know, after watching you for so long, the 80s in Detroit, I mean, it is. It was the Wild West. It yeah. Was so how you navigate that? I, I can't wait for that show, to be honest, because how, how he explains how he. Well, Daryl, I mean, Daryl just says, I just picked up the pieces, man. I let all those guys and he knew all those guys. I mean, he was good friends with Maserati Rick and Demetrius Holloway. And that plays into the story. Again, for people that don't know, uh, Demetrius and, and Maserati Rick were the two biggest uh, dope kingpins in Detroit. They came from the east side. They grew up with Tommy Hearns and Daryl Chambers, and they were um, they were ever present. <laughs> in, at the Kronk gym and in a lot of those fights um, in Vegas, they were part of Tommy Hearns' entourage. Uh, in fact, Maserati Rick worked the corner uh, on a number of fights on national television, um, <laughs> in addition to being a drug kingpin. So, you know, there was this target on their back uh, because they were hanging around with these guys. And uh, I can't speak for Daryl because I don't want to speak for him, but I do believe Manny Stewart was helping Demetrius Holloway and Maserati Rick Carter uh, launder drug money. So I do believe there was something there to be found if the government had found it, but uh, Daryl was not going to give up Manny. That's a wild story. Check that out. OG podcast coming up. Scott, before I let you go, I know you got 20 other things to, uh, that are going on. Anything else uh, that you yeah, want? Yeah, just look, look out. I got two things on the horizon to look out for. Uh, this spring, I'm doing a, a special with the History Channel on Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, I'll be there during the dig that, that's going to upcoming dig in New Jersey. Awesome. Um, and uh, we're going to be there with a camera. Uh, me and Larry Fishburne are doing this History, uh, History Channel special. I watched then, the one with uh, Jimmy Bucciolato on there, and yeah, I thought me, that was a really that, good show. It's a spinoff. Of, it's a spinoff of that one. It's going to be a ninety-minute special, and then check out uh, next month on Stars, the Black Mafia Family docu series that's going to be coming out that I was involved in, both the scripted and unscripted. Uh, the this is the unscripted version, eight-part series telling the real story of Black Mafia Family. You'll see my ugly mug, so <laughs> check it out. 
Well, luckily I got, I just re up my stars subscription. So that'll be good. Check out Scott. He's got tons of things going on. I always a pleasure. We could go for hours every single yep. time we talk, but you got to go off, get, get some work done. We'll be back. We're, we got Chris Van Dyne coming up. Ari Temkin from Sirius radio coming up. A lot of great things on the horizon. So for Scott, for myself, we'll see you next time.